1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
2: Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode.
3: assistant professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at UMMC. High blood pressure, also known as hypertension, is a very common illness that we see in our adult patients and we are seeing more and more in our children as well. And so today we're going to be talking about hypertension, just how common it is, some of the causes and what we can do to treat it. And I'll be here to answer any of your questions about your blood pressure medicines, because I know we probably have a lot of listeners who are on blood pressure medicines. Um, So if you have any questions, I would love to hear from you. You can always send us an email as well to kids at mpbonline.org. We haven't talked about blood pressure in a long time, so I figured it would be a good topic today. You know, we've kind of been... Slowly talking about just how to be happy and healthy in 2024. And I feel like addressing hypertension goes along with that because – Majority of people don't know they have high blood pressure unless they go to the doctor. So, one of the most important things uh, about staying healthy is making sure you're getting your regular checkups. I can't stress that enough. Um, And this is not just for your kids. You know, uh, we definitely want your children to be going to their yearly checkups, and they need to be making sure they have their evaluations every year by their doctor and up to date on their vaccinations. But it's also really important as adults. You know, we talk all the time about how kids um, see what we do and they follow us. So if we are starting the precedence with taking care of ourselves and going to our regular checkups and they know that, they're going to be more likely to participate and go to their checkups too. And then also, if we're starting them young with going to their regular checkups every year, then that's going to be something that they're going to carry into adulthood because they're going to know how important it is to prioritize their health. So I say all of that because most people won't know that they have high blood pressure unless they're going to their doctor and unless they're getting their blood pressure checked. Because it's not like you're just walking around checking your blood pressure every day. Um, So, it's really important that you're going at least once a year, um, getting your blood pressure checked. For our children, we don't recommend starting blood pressure checks until age three. However, if you have a high risk, like um, babies that were born premature or um, there are certain known heart conditions that will make you more um, prone to having high blood pressures as a young As a young child. Um, And so those babies we start a little bit younger, but in particular, I mean, usually we just don't start screening until age three. Um, But our bodies do such a good job at adjusting to high blood pressures, high sugars. So most of the time when people get diagnosed with high blood pressure or diabetes, they're like, well, I feel fine. You know, like I don't why, you know, I never would have known I had this. Um, And that's because our bodies do such a good job at adjusting to that. Um, And that's why a lot of people actually feel bad when we start their own medicines for blood pressure or start their own medicines for diabetes, uh, because it takes our bodies a little bit longer to get kind of back to that equilibrium state and like adjust to those changes because they've been walking around with the high blood pressures for so long. So um, so I say all of that, make sure you're getting your checkups so that you can check on your blood pressure at least once a year because you may not know that you have it. They call hypertension the silent killer for a reason. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the complications and why it's so important to treat hypertension if you have it. Um, but we do have a caller. So we will go to Charlotte. Good morning, Charlotte. What's going on? I'd like to share a personal account about the
2: Mediterranean diet and how wonderful it is. I've eaten Mediterranean since the early 90s. And my father uh, was on, he had always eaten unhealthily and had been on, was up to three different brands of blood pressure pills a day and had had many, at least one mini-stroke. The cardiologist put him on Mediterranean diet. He went from three brands to zero. Mm-hmm. And, it just, it, uh, and I, I've taught my children and grandchildren that a lot of diseases that are considered hereditary or just bad habits pass from generation to generation.
3: Yes. So the Mediterranean diet is very similar to what we call the DASH diet, which is the diet to stop hypertension, essentially is what it stands for. Um, And all the stuff that you're saying is so true. If you follow the DASH diet, or it's essentially the Mediterranean diet, um, you can actually replace at least one blood pressure medicine. But it sounds like in your dad, they were able to replace more than just one. Um, But essentially, the Mediterranean diet is just uh, lots of uh, chicken fish fruits vegetables um, healthy oils and fats uh, maybe you can elaborate charlotte and some of the stuff that you have found in your diet because i think a lot of people are intimidated uh, by it when i tell them about it but it, you, there actually is a very wide variety of foods you can eat
2: yes i consider it a lifestyle not a diet it might say diet technically but it is a lifestyle and it's wonderful and i uh I eliminated sugars, uh, no white rice. I eat brown rice. No white potatoes. Red potatoes have a lower glycemic index, and uh, whole grains. I, I eat no white flour of any form. Whole grain or whole wheat, 100%. It has the only thing I eat.
3: Good, and then- and, uh, and
2: and and olive oil should be the only source of fat. I, no butter shortening
3: anything like that right and then with regards to meat what kind of meat do you do you eat fish chicken turkey yeah
2: that's all i can say
3: yeah so they always tell us if it flies or swims you can eat it (laughs) um so a lot of the like red meats and pork and things like that i mean it's okay to have but definitely need to prioritize the, the the fish the chicken the turkey exactly what you were talking about Well, thanks for your program. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling. Um, And that was actually one of the things we were going to talk about later, because one of the first things that we recommend when you get diagnosed with hypertension is lifestyle changes. Um, And I, I always try to preface it when I talk to my patients about, you know, we can We can do all the lifestyle changes. You can lose weight. Sometimes genetics outweighs everything, and you still may have to get on at least one blood pressure medicine. But if you do make the lifestyle changes and you do watch your diet, a lot of times we can replace that – you know, it replaces the blood pressure medicine. It can make a huge, huge difference. And so uh, the DASH diet is the one that we go by. It's essentially the same thing as the Mediterranean diet. Um, And it is the one that is recommended by the American Heart Association as well. So um, thanks, Charlotte, for bringing that up. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show too. But um, that was a great way to start because a lot of times you can change all of, a lot of your health and your future health problems just by changing your lifestyle and your diet
4: yeah they, they say something similar about uh, alzheimer 's dog. They say that like genetics may get you in the end, but you can really help yourself out by taking out certain things of your diet mm-hmm. if alzheimer 's or dementia runs on your family. I think they call it a grain brain Some, okay. sometimes uh, too many carbs can contribute to that memory loss, mm-hmm. and the only reason I know that is because my grandmother. Past of Alzheimer's, and so now I'm paranoid that I want to get it yes. too. So I, I like that Charlotte brought that up, that uh, and and that you commented on it and said it, it. Genetics are more powerful than we think, but we can at least help ourselves out a little bit,
3: right? And that that actually goes for a lot of things. You know, um, diabetes is the same thing. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, unfortunately, our type one diabetics. You know, there's not too much we can do from that standpoint. We have to get on insulin. Um, But for our type 2 diabetics, yes, there is a genetic predisposition to it, but there's a lot of things you can do with your lifestyle that can help with that. Um, And so it can make a big difference. And the reason it's so important is because hypertension, diabetes, all of these medical problems that we're talking about lead to more medical problems like heart disease, strokes, kidney disease, um, vascular disease. People who have to end up having like a toe amputated or problems like that because they have such bad vascular problems. All of this is, you know, that's why hypertension is called the silent killer because you don't really feel bad but it's doing damage to your vessels and 10, 20, 30 years down the road is when you're going to have those problems. And even though, you know, you may be 30, 40 years old, listening to this and somebody's told you you have high blood pressure and you're like, "But I'm young, I feel fine." Well, 20 years is going to happen in the blink of an eye and then you're going to be in the hospital with a heart attack. And so that's why preventative medicine is so important and so.
4: I have a question, doc. Uh-huh. Before the break, we uh, we talked about changing your diet and Um, You know Talking about what foods You should and shouldn't eat If you have a hypertension problem What is the difference In how you approach Telling young kids About diet changes And how you tell adults About diet changes I'm sure there's a There's some sensitivity issues Depending on the age
3: Yes definitely Because there You know it's hard because when they're younger, you know, and I sometimes you just have to be really stern. And, you know, if you have an eight, nine, 10 year old who is having high blood pressure and who is overweight, I have to politely but also sternly more counsel the parents because the kids, they're not going to the grocery store. They're not fixing supper. They're not the ones driving through McDonald's to get the food. You know, because they're too young. They can't do this. They're not making these decisions. So a lot of it is counseling the parents too. Um so you have to kind of like you said, find the balance because you know As parents, we're just doing what we can, you know, especially like we've talked before in here about just how busy life is in general. And there are some days where you can't fix supper every single night. And that's understandable. And you have to go out to eat. But we also have to learn to prioritize our, our health, our kids' health, and find a good balance. Um, so I, a lot of times in our younger kids, we do have to focus more on talking to the parents just because the kids aren't making these decisions, you know. Um, but our teenage years, I mean, I treat them like adults. Um, You know, kids, I feel like a lot of the teenagers actually respond better if you treat them like an adult. They want to think that they're an adult, even though they're not. Um, They like to be treated with respect. And so a lot of times for our older kids, I just talk to them one-on-one and I say, look, we got to do something, you know. Um, And I also try to talk to them, especially as they get a little bit older, like 16, 17, 18, you know, try to remind them that they're about to go off to college or um, maybe move out of the house and start a trade job whatever their future may be but they're not always going to be under mom and dad's roof and so we've got to start taking responsibility and making some of these healthy decisions and i don't ever you know charlotte mentioned too um that is called the Mediterranean diet, but she doesn't like to label it as a diet. And that's what I always try to do, too. I don't ever say we got a diet. I say we got to change our lifestyle. Um, you know, we've got to make better choices is a lot of the times the words that I use with when I'm talking to kids. Um, because, you know, if you label it as a diet, that just has so many negative connotations. But if you talk about it more as a lifestyle and making healthy choices, then it kind of changes your whole perspective on it you're not so focused on why you have to lose weight you have to do this because I've had patients come in who you know may have probably needed to lose closer to 30 pounds but really only lost five six pounds but they've really changed their lifestyle and what they're eating and it's made bigger differences so even though they're not seeing huge movement on the scale in the medical side of things, with the blood pressure and the lab work, we have actually seen improvements. So, I, you know, I don't like to label it as a diet either. I like to just say lifestyle changes and that we're making healthier choices. So, um, Sorry, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but hopefully maybe that answers your question. No,
4: yeah, for sure. It's just, you know, as a professional, I'm sure you know that when we talk to women of a certain age, those diet conversations Mm -hmm. probably need to be a little bit more sensitive. Exactly. And so I was just curious how you handled those sensitivities depending on age
3: i really try never to say diet even with my adults i mean i'm sure it slipped a few times but i try to make more of a conscious effort to never say diet um just because i know all of the negative connotations that can come with that and i i try to talk more based off of lifestyle um and healthy decisions so but you're exactly right you do have to be very careful with that and it's the same thing as with adults too you know and i feel like um The other tricky part that comes with it when we do say diet and all of that is people feel like they're getting reprimanded and they're not really getting that like trust with you. You know, you have to have a good relationship with your doctor. You have to feel comfortable in sharing with them. And if they feel like as a doctor, you're just telling them you got to lose weight, you got to do this, then they're going to not be as open to coming and telling you when they're having problems because they're like, well, they're just going to tell me I need to lose weight or they're just going to tell me to do this instead of like feeling more comfortable with you. So, um, so yes, it's definitely important for kids, but it's also important for our adults too. So I always try to be a little mindful of that when I'm talking to my patients about it. All right, we've got some callers. So let's go to Dot who's in Flowood. Good morning, Dot. What's going on? Hey, hey, I have a question that is
5: Probably I already know the answer, but I thought there may be a lot of people like me. I'm kind of obsessive about my high blood pressure because I'm 83 now, but I never had health issues until the last couple of years. And I'm kind of getting obsessive about getting that blood pressure under control. Every time I go to the doctor, it spikes. It's just like over the top. He thinks I'm on my deathbed, and then, <laughs> then I, you know, and so I just, um, just the very mention of it, I, I, my blood pressure spikes. I, I, you know, it, when I'm talking with people, anybody, is there something like? Do I need um some counseling or, or something like that? I, I don't understand why. I'm so obsessed with it, except that maybe I think I should be perfect, and I'm not.
3: (laughs) So you are not alone in that. That is very, very common. Um, Well, number one, the fact that, you know, you've made it 83 years, that's amazing. It means you've taken very good care of your body. So kudos to you on that. But it is one of those things that as we get older, typically our blood pressure just goes up. Um, So I don't think it's anything necessarily that you've done. It's just very common. The older we get and as we age, it's a natural process that our blood pressure does tend to go up just in general. Um, But we do have a lot of people whose blood pressure spikes when they go to the doctor. And that's the term we use for um, white coat hypertension. you probably heard that term before. Uh Um, Yeah. And so we have now, you know, we know we've always known there is a condition, white coat hypertension, and we'll get people to monitor their blood pressure at home. But there are some people who are still a little weary and they're worried about their blood pressure. And so there's lots of programs out there with like what we call ambulatory blood pressure monitoring, um, where you can get your blood pressure checked at home pretty routinely. Um, I know at the university, we have a telehealth program uh, where we have nurses and pharmacists and that are monitoring people's blood pressure. So what they do is they get sent a kit and it is able, you're able to check your blood pressure, you know, one to two times a day and the information. Information is sent directly to the nurse and the pharmacist, and all of this is monitored. I think by um, a cardiologist, too but they review your blood pressures over time and they can track and decide if you need a medicine or not. Um, So because we we know that most people's blood pressure is actually going to be better at home than it is at the doctor's office and so that's very common and so that's why we like to do that home blood pressure monitoring or ambulatory blood pressure monitoring so we can get more accurate results of how your blood pressure truly is. So maybe something to talk to your doctor about because I know like I said we have one at the university but I'm sure there's multiple places that are doing that as well um because yeah, I had I, a patient
5: I, oh go ahead I was going to say I, I started that program at one point but I am so absolutely busy I, it's a lot of reasons for why the blood pressure's up but um I, I never had like I couldn't go consistently. And run, take my blood pressure, and you know, like certain time of day, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Well, I plan to go over there and take my blood pressure at the good time of day, <laughs> and uh, it's really um, it got to where it was. It was another anxiety mm-hmm. keeping up with with that. So I asked the doctor if I could drop it, and, and I did. Gotcha. And um, but but if it's causing me to be even more Anxious, it seems to me like it's not a good thing for me. Yeah. Uh is there an attitude that I need to look at on that?
3: Well, and then the other thing I was gonna say, if anxiety is the major factor into all of this I have had some patients that we have just put on anxiety medicines Um, and Dr. Stewart y'all all know Dr. Jimmy that hosts the Wednesday show he was he was one of the doctors that actually trained me during my residency and he is a hypertension specialist and so he would tell us during our training a lot of times that sometimes that's all people need actually is an anxiety medicine and it brings their blood pressure down so he has yeah. some people that are on Zoloft or Lexapro, and they call that their hypertension medicine <laughs> um, because, uh-huh. you know, it's actually treating their underlying anxiety, which has led to all of their elevated blood pressure. So well,
5: I may talk to him about an anxiety. See, I take Losartan, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and then on the side, we have tried all kinds of uh, varieties of various um, treatments. You know, lower this and and raise that and all all those kind of things, and it just doesn't seem to change. Um, usually, when I eat right consistently and can exercise consistently, it helps. Mm-hmm. But um, but I'm I'm really tired of tuna fish. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I get
3: anyway,
5: it. You know, I get it. Just I'm, I'm tired of the battle. I think. Yeah. But anyway, I just thought um, I, I would say ask if you know if if I needed counseling or something because I'm just so obsessive about it. You definitely
3: and, could. You know, if you're a little hesitant to do an anxiety medicine, you know, I'm a big believer yeah. in counseling. I think that's that's okay. something that would be very helpful.
5: Okay. Well, I'll talk to the doctor and and see if um, you know. Now the doctor doesn't have much time to sit around and talk to you yeah uh, you know under under new in health insurance programs and things but um you know he tries it's just a real you know it's a burden on them too um you know have insur- health insurance be so um the individual is more responsible for your health than the doctor is
3: yeah <laughs> insurance limits um, a lot of yeah. what we do unfortunately. Yeah. But, yeah, well, it sounds like you were very well aware of it, and I think that maybe addressing the underlying anxiety would probably help your blood pressure. So,
5: Okay. All right. I, I'm, I'm undergoing a lot of um, situations in my home and uh, family illnesses and that sort of thing. I think that may be part of it, too. Oh, for so. sure.
3: That definitely yeah. can. Well, thank you, Ms. Dot, for calling. We appreciate it. Um, We had a caller who just left a question and she said, if you don't have a genetic disposition to high blood pressure, but you're vulnerable due to your weight, can you lose enough weight to change that? And the answer is most likely yes. you know, if you don't have a strong family history of high blood pressure, and you're the first person in your family to have it, but you are overweight, um, most of the time, just with some lifestyle changes, you can make a big difference with losing a little bit of weight. um, And it can bring your blood pressure down. So we know that there is a strong connection between obesity and hypertension, just like there is for um, obesity and diabetes, type two diabetes. Um, And if you can lose weight a lot of times you can bring that blood pressure down so um, some of the tricky things that can play a role is you know like if you do have a family history of high blood pressure or um, maybe you have had long-standing blood pressure that's done a little damage to the kidneys sometimes once the kidneys have a little bit of damage it can be a little bit harder to control blood pressure Um, so there's always some caveats uh, but majority of the time, if you can lose weight and you can change your lifestyle and the lifestyle not only includes diet, it includes aerobic activity to, you know, getting your heart rate up, getting some exercise. A lot of times you don't have to have a blood pressure medicine. In fact, unless your blood pressure is at like a, a scary high level, um, if it is just elevated in your stage one hypertension um, even sometimes stage two, but we could start with just stage one hypertension. It's recommended to try lifestyle changes, and they recommend to try for at least six months um, before you consider having to add a medicine. So we try to give you a really good, fair, effort, you know, to hold off in a medicine. I always say, contrary to popular belief, we don't really try to put everybody on a medicine if we don't have to. Um, So we really try to give you at least six months of lifestyle changes. And so you can really have a suitable amount of time to make some of those changes to bring your blood pressure down before we give you a medicine. And I want to say too, that if you do end up having to get on a medicine, don't consider that like defeated or it didn't work, you know, continue to work on the lifestyle changes. Because we always reassess, we usually see you every six months or so if you have high blood pressure. So we're constantly reassessing to see if you can try to come off the medicine. So This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We have been talking today about hypertension and high blood pressure. So we have talked a lot about just high blood pressure, and um, we've had some callers, we've talked some about the lifestyle changes and some of the different things that can affect it. Um, And now I wanna talk about some of the complications and why we get those complications. Um, We had another person send us a question that said, um, would a blood pressure of 130 over 90 be considered concerning for an 84 year old? Um, I would say, No. Uh, You know, as I mentioned earlier, as you get older, your blood pressure does become higher just in general. And so we tend to get a little bit more lenient with our blood pressure as you get older. Now, what we consider hypertension is anything, you know, there's two different blood pressure numbers. You have the top number, which is your systolic number, and then you have the bottom number, which is your diastolic number. Um, and there are two different things that are happening. The systolic is when your heart's beating and pumping through the blood, and the diastolic is when your heart is resting and the blood in the blood vessels of your heart are filling. So that's, that's what the two pressures are. Um, and they're both equally important um, but most people tend to always focus on that top number for some reason but the the what the blood pressure high blood pressure is considered is greater than 130 over 80 so a systolic blood pressure greater than 130 or a diastolic blood pressure greater than 80 um so honestly 130 over 90 is actually fairly normal. You know, that diastolic is still a little bit elevated, but at 84, we would expect it to be a little bit higher than normal. The other reason we get a little bit lenient as you get older is because, as all medicines do, there are potential for side effects. One of the side effects that people get with blood pressure medicines, and it's just by nature of the medicine, is you can get dizziness, you can get worsening of orthostatic symptoms. And so what we mean with orthostatic symptoms is everybody knows that feeling when you get up too fast and you kind of like get that little dizzy feeling a little bit. That's normal because if you stand up too quickly, you know, your blood rushes to your legs and then you have a little brief moment where you don't get as good a blood flow to your brain and that what leads to that kind of like woozy feeling in your head and dizzy feeling. Um, Blood pressure medicines can exacerbate that. Our patients, as you get older, you're at higher risk for falls in general. So then if we put you on a medicine that can make you dizzy, that can make you have worsening orthostatic symptoms, then as physicians, we're doing you a disservice and making you at even higher risk for falls. So all that being said is the older you get, your blood pressure tends to be a little bit higher in general. You get a little more sensitive to some of the side effects of medicine. So we're going to be a little bit more lenient with your blood pressure as you get older. So 130 over 90 in an 84-year-old, I personally wouldn't be too aggressive with that. Um, I would just keep an eye on it. Now, if that top number started to rise a little bit more and was more like 140 over 90, maybe would consider a little low-dose blood pressure medicine. But 130 over 90... I'm going to say that's okay. I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, So kind of talked a little bit about what's happening. You know, this is the different pressures that are happening as your heart beats and as your heart relaxes and fills with blood. Why does this matter? Well, if the blood pressure is too high and those vessels, you know, our blood vessels can only take so much pressure. So if we're putting out too much pressure on those vessels, they're going to get damaged over time. And the damage comes to the, usually the smaller vessels. The big vessels, yeah, they're going to get some damage, but we're thinking more of like the smaller vessels as everything kind of breaks off and co- starts um, – you know, supplying blood to the big organs. So like the little smaller vessels around your heart, um, the smaller vessels leading to your kidneys, the smaller vessels in your brain, the smaller vessels in your eyes. These are the ones that are having damage done to them over time when maybe you're not feeling that bad because like I said, your bodies do such a good job at adjusting to those higher blood pressure levels that you don't really notice it. You may not have any symptoms of it. Um, But over time, damage is slowly but surely Being done. And so the damage, you know, the little blood vessels have problems getting there. And then when that happens, In particular, your heart and your brain vessels, we think about strokes and heart attacks because over time that can lead to some blockage in those arteries. And whenever you don't get, whenever they're blocked, you don't get blood flow. And then when you don't get good blood flow to your heart, you have a heart attack. When you don't get good blood flow to your brain, you have a stroke. Um, Same thing with the kidneys. When the kidneys aren't getting good blood flow, they'll eventually slowly but surely start dying out over time. Now, you can also get a stroke from having too high blood pressure because those pressures in those arteries get too much and the blood vessels actually burst. So a lot of the times when we think about a stroke, we think about you're not getting enough blood supply to the brain, and the brain tissue dies. Um, But you can also have it where one of the blood vessels bursts, and you actually have a bleeding stroke or a hemorrhagic stroke. Um, And a lot of times that's either from an aneurysm or from uncontrolled high blood pressure because the arteries burst. So, So you can see that a lot of times a lot of the damage is being done, and you don't know it, and that's when the problems are happening. So just some statistics that I found is people with their first heart attack, about seven out of every 10 with their first heart attack have high blood pressure, whether they know it or not. Um, For the stroke, about eight out of 10 people having their first stroke have high blood pressure, whether they know it or not. Um, Heart failure, seven out of 10 people with heart failure have high blood pressure, whether they know it or not. And kidney disease, I couldn't find a good number for it, but I would say Um, it's probably nine out of 10, if I had to guess, Um, people with kidney disease end up with having high blood pressure and they didn't realize it. So it is a big, big problem that leads to even bigger problems if we don't address it. And then I also saw that it's almost one out of two. It's almost 50% of people have high blood pressure. So right now it's uh, me, Lacey, and Abram. (laughs) So at some point in the next 10 years, Chances are one of us is going to be diagnosed with high blood pressure. <laughs> and considering that my mom, my dad, my grandparents, and everybody in my family has high blood pressure, I'm sure it's me. Um, because I am not always great about my lifestyle, admittedly. I love salt. So, um, you know, I, one of us at some point is like the likelihood is one of us is going to be diagnosed with high blood pressure. So, all right, we've got another caller, Larry. Good morning, Larry. What's going on? Okay.
1: And, oh. I- at, my, at the age of 70 in 2020, I had to have my mitral valve replaced because I have an enlarged heart and it tore the mitral valve. Mm-hmm. And what I never did smoke, okay? But when I woke up from the surgery, in, uh, from the intensive care after the surgery, I was on a ventilator. Now, it wasn't an invasive. It was non-invasive. But they don't put you in a ventilator for a precautionary reason. It, there's a reason for it to be on it. And I wonder why I might have been on that ventilator. Well, It was just a short period of time.
3: Yeah. Um, well, a lot of that, when you have your mitral valve replaced, that's a pretty big procedure. I'm assuming they probably cut your chest open.
1: They did, yes, ma'am.
3: Yeah. And, and they put
1: a pacemaker in, too, you know, Yeah. push that was afterwards.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. So anytime you have a valve replaced like that, now there's some things that we can do to the aortic valve now where we don't actually have to cut your chest open, um, but the mitral valve... Yeah, I heard
1: about, the new, I heard about that new procedure, Yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh Mm Uh-huh. Yeah, the tavern. Yeah, but um, for your mitral valve, majority of the time you do have to have your chest open. And a lot of those, I'm not sure if you had to. Did you have to have any kind of bypass surgery with it, or did they just strictly fix your valve?
1: No, never had that. And according to my cardiologist, I never had a heart attack.
3: Yeah, okay. So sometimes when they put you, a lot of times, I would say... a decent amount of times. I don't know a statistic, but a lot of times when you have to have your valve replaced, a lot of people end up having bypass surgery too. And so when that happens, you have to go on the bypass machine and they have to stop your heart for a little bit and, and all the things that go along with that. And so a lot of times they need your body to rest. And so they'll keep you on the ventilator for a little bit just to let your body rest more than anything. Um, and so even though you didn't have the bypass surgery, they may have thought your body just needed a little bit longer time to rest because your body had been through a lot with that surgery um, and so that may be part of it the, um, another reason sometimes they'll keep you on the ventilator a little while is if you have sleep apnea a lot of our patients with sleep apnea or um, lung disease like COPD they can have a little bit harder time waking up from the anesthesia and so again they'll keep you on the ventilator for a little bit longer just to kind of help your body and your lungs everything get all that CO2 regulated before they take you off the machine
4: Here
1: you see my heart my mitral valve became torn, take, uh, became uh, un, uh, untethered because of high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. It caused my heart to enlarge, And according to my cardiologist, my heart is seventy percent larger than what it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it, I'm sure that's what caused the valve to come apart. It's mm-hmm. a heart stretched.
3: Yeah, it could be. It could be. Yeah, there's lots of different reasons, but yeah, it could be. Yeah, so when you have uncontrolled hypertension or high blood pressure and your heart is having to pump against those higher pressures – Um, Uh one of the parts of the, the part of the heart is the left ventricle is the one that pumps the blood out to the body into the aorta. And if it's having Uh to pump against higher pressures all the time, it just gets thicker and thicker and thicker. And so we'll see that happening where the hearts get a lot bigger uh, because Uh they're having to pump so hard against blood pressure. The good news Uh is, is a lot of times we can get some of that back in that can help the heart if we can just bring the blood pressure down. And there's certain medicines we like to use for that. Um, But we can. The heart is pretty good at remodeling, and we can get some of that back when that happens.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so this goes back to what you were saying right before I came on about the salt and high blood pressure, because that's I had uncontrolled high blood pressure. And I knew I, I needed medication for for years, but I didn't have health care. So therefore I couldn't go to the doctor to get the medication mm-hmm. and this is the end result of untreated hypertension. Mm-hmm. So like you were saying, this emphasizes the importance of people watching their blood pressure, and if they have high blood pressure, keep it under control so they don't want to in the same situation I'm in.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well thank you, Larry, for calling and sharing your story. We appreciate that. Thank,
1: thank you for your show. You got an excellent show.
3: Oh, thank you, Larry. We appreciate you got an excellent that.
1: Show. God bless you
3: for what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So we spent a lot of time about, uh, you know, talking about hypertension and some of the complications that can happen and how um, the damage is done over time. Um, And so now just kind of want to recircle back to what can you do about that? So um, we've talked a lot about lifestyle and how important it is. And our first caller brought up the Mediterranean diet, um, which is really similar to the DASH diet. Um so we know that changing to a diet that um has you know she mentioned she does a lot of whole grains she doesn't do anything white no white flour no white rice Um, everything's brown rice whole grains Um, we talked about meats we try to avoid the red meats and the pork and we used to we like to do a lot more um, if it flies or swims so chicken fish turkey and then healthy oils and fats it's okay to still use oils and it's okay to still eat fats but we want to eat healthier oils and fats exercise I can't stress that enough too Um, yes I will say we had a caller um, that ended up hanging up and they asked what is the biggest thing that you can do to help with your blood pressure lifestyle wise and it is diet I will say hands down diet makes the most difference but exercise is super important too. at least 30 minutes a day five days a week getting that heart rate up that will help your heart that actually helps lower your blood pressure too so and um, we got a caller, so I want to get to Miss Cheryl before we run out of time. What's going on, Miss Cheryl?
1: Well, I was just asking whether a high pulse rate, which I have, has anything to do with high blood pressure, which I don't have. Not
3: not necessarily. Now, mm-hmm. if sometimes if you have a high heart rate for too long, and depending on what kind of rhythm, it can put some problems and stress on the heart, which I guess ultimately could lead to some higher blood pressures, but not always. I have several patients who just have a low—I mean, a higher resting heart rate—or I have some patients who don't have high blood pressure, um, but actually have lower heart rates and end up with pacemakers and never have had any problems wow. with their blood pressure. So it doesn't yeah. always, but majority of the time, you know, we do see some changes in the heart rate with people with blood pressure issues, but yeah. a lot of times no. Not we always- don't.
1: Yeah, I've always had a high pulse rate, I mean, for decades and decades, but it doesn't, you know, I've never had high blood pressure, so I guess just, keep, I don't suppose there's, there, there's not any medication for high pulse rate other than just get exercise, right?
3: getting exercise and trying to build your stamina up and depends on how high it is you know I mean if if it's like in the 90s I'm not really that worried about it yeah that is considered high but I don't think you probably have to do anything but if you're consistently above 100 110 then yeah there's beta blockers that are really good at bringing your heart rate down and sometimes we'll do that especially if you're having symptoms from it like if you feel like your heart's racing
1: yeah, no, none of that. It's just it's just a regular, that's just my regular MO, so I guess I won't worry too much about it unless something comes up. I appreciate it.
3: Yeah, thanks for calling. We appreciate it.
1: Okay, uh uh-huh.
3: We'll go next to Bob. Good morning, Bob.
0: Good morning. I have, uh, I'm 81, and when I was young, my blood pressure stayed right around 120 over 80. Now it kind of hangs around 165 over 85 or 90. And I'm curious, do you get a break when you're older or is that bad?
3: Yeah, so... You know, it, when you think about our blood pressure, we've always heard 120 over 80. And the difference between that top number and that bottom number is only 40. That's our pulse pressure. When you mentioned yours is 160 over 80, um, you know, I had I'd said earlier in their show that we expect to see blood pressures get a little bit higher as you get older. The thing I also didn't mention was you get that uh, widened pulse pressure. So you get a bigger difference. So 160 over 80, that's a difference of like 80 instead of 40. So those are all really common things that we see um as you get older and we see a bigger difference between that top number and that bottom number. Now one sixty is pretty high. Um you know I try to give you up until about one forty, sometimes one fifty, but when you're getting to one sixty, you may be needing to get on a medication to help bring that blood pressure down. The tricky part though as you get older is if you have that such a big difference between that top and bottom number we also we got to bring that top number down that 160 but we have to find a good balance because we don't want to bring that bottom number too low um, because that will make you feel crummy too. So you know you're one of those cases that's a little bit trickier that I probably would lean a little bit more towards putting a blood pressure medicine on you, but I also have to find a good balance with that bottom number and not making it be too low. So, um, what's
0: significant about the spread? What's significant about that?
3: Well, it's just a it's a it's a difference. We sometimes it can be indicative that you're having some problems with your aortic valve. So that would be a good thing. You want to make sure that your doctor is listening to make sure they don't hear any murmurs or anything like that. But majority of time, it's just normal. It's just the pressure differences in the arteries that we see over time. It's something that's very common that we see. So the biggest thing so would my, be uh, my
0: issue is going to be. Behavior because I'm, uh, I did some damage to my knee, so I haven't walked in a couple of months, and I know that's not good. Yeah. But snacking on junk, that's a big deal. So for me, it is a concern, and I need to behave myself better.
3: Yeah. Well, we all do, Bob. Don't beat yourself up. <laughs> but it sounds like there are some things that you can do with your lifestyle before having to start a medicine. But I would recommend without blood pressure, keeping a close check with your doctor every so often so that we can make sure that, you know, your lifestyle changes are working so that you don't have to get on a blood pressure medicine. But, but thanks for calling and sharing that with us. But, yeah, I would keep a close eye on it if I were you. Alright, well this has been such a good topic I always love talking about hypertension Thank you all so much for your calls Thank you Lacey and Abram for being our producer and our call screener Join us next Thursday at 11 Stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast To hear previous shows Visit mpbonline.org Or download the MPB Public Radio app To listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand